Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. again fellow basement dwellers it's your good friend patrick o'dowd welcoming you in to another edition of bandwagon nerds as we begin the countdown to our one-year anniversary by taking on a very special project the villain project week one that's right kids four weeks of list shows coming to you as we head into our one-year anniversary. Of course, I'm not doing this alone. With me, as always, is our, is our good friend, the lawyer himself, David Ungar. David, how are you doing today? You feeling villainous? Uh, you know, always villainous. Something about being on this show just brings out the uh, <clears throat> the dark side of me, Patrick. So it must be you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm right. gonna give you all the credit for that, my friend. You watched The Rise of Skywalker again, didn't you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> And as I mentioned last week on the show, as we wrapped up uh, The Boys Season 2, we have a special guest host for this project as well. All four weeks coming to us with the Baltimore flag in tow behind him, Mr. Ray Cash flying. I, I don't even know. Is that what they do in Baltimore? I thought, no, we, we, don't, we no. don't do that. Um, uh, to quote the great modern philosopher Sean Carter, better known as Jay-Z. Dark night feeling, die and be a hero, or live long enough to figure see yourself become the villain. 
Let's go. Let's go. And I got to show you. I one day I will share it in our chat. There's a picture that my daughter did of my son at Disneyland where it's that caption where it's like you either <laughs> you either live, live long, long enough, enough to become to the villain become the yeah. hero or whatever how it goes. It's a it's a side by side. It's him like early in the day just really happy and then a picture of him later on just pissed off. It's freaking hilarious, man. One of the greatest quotes that ever that came out of the Batman trilogy. That's fantastic. It's it's like oh, yeah. that and some men want to watch the world burn. I, yeah, do. I mean well, I can give I mean, you all what, the main wait, quotes because that <laughs> shit was hilarious to me. I can't do the voice, but the main quotes are just hilarious to me. You think this uh, gives you power over me? I love that shit. You know, you know what's funny is I don't remember that performance, but I sure remember Heinz Ward running a football back in a in a game it, for the, the stadium City collapsing. Nights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Did you? Right. Yeah, so, I, 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 you guys are nerds just as much as me. You know, the kicker was the real Pittsburgh mayor, right? No, I didn't know that. He kicked in college, and that oh, was the, cool. so the kicker was the real mayor of Pittsburgh. So that's kind of a really cool little uh, Easter egg. I had no idea. I mean, I I totally marked out for Heinz Ward. So I yeah, and that was about as far as I went. So, but as, as we talked about this this week and the next few weeks, you guys probably aren't going to get a rundown from me because our show is going to be the villain project uh, for the next four weeks, and so. Ray, I don't know if you've listened to our previous list shows before, but these have a tendency without anything additional to go the the good two hours. We we tend to we tend to get a little deep dive, and it doesn't matter. Like it could just be Dave and I, it could just be me, it could be six people. It's always going to go two hours unless we do the ill-conceived top twenty. Uh, and what, how long was that show? What, was it four plus hours, Dave? That was a mistake. Oh, the when we got down to the last twenty video games, yeah, yeah, no, no regrets. But because we had shit. it was it was a commemorative. What was it like? Our I forget twenty fifth episode yeah, or something. We, yeah, it was something. We were we were celebrating something, and you want to talk about giving me a hard time? Like Greg gave me a hard time on the Demarco show because last week it was like, oh, we got a light agenda, and he was like, but you still went two hours. It's like, yeah, we talked about. About the last episode of this, I knew that was going to be an hour, which is why we didn't cover much in the back end. We had the interview, which again, shout out to Tim Carlson from Staff and Branch. Staff and Branch, I uh, saw he released stuff on his website. He he released eleven dice boxes that he finished. They sold out in three minutes. So, so he is doing doing fine by his business there. And uh, it was great to have him on the show. Check out his website. But yeah, so we're going to do the Villain Project today. Like I mentioned before, it's going to be done in four parts, and we're going to categorize these. Dave already tried to break the rules once uh, for this week's break category. Break the rules? I sought clarification. That's all I did. Right. To a question you should have known better to, to answer, sir, because these are these are comic book villains. He's in the comics. And we're doing, in various iterations... This week, it is comic book villains as portrayed in film and TV. So our top 10 comic book villain portrayals in film or television. And I get a question in the chat. Does Darth Vader count? It's legit. I think it's It's legit. It's not a legit question. Thank you, Ray. Where where did Darth Vader Vader or where is Darth Vader's origins, sir? You didn't say it had the origin had to come from the comic. Oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. Character. 
you all should know better. That portrayal occurred before the comic book dropped. Ergo, it is not a portrayal of a comic book character. That wow. is a weak, weak argument. I am out nerding that with my nerd rules that says, <laughs> you guys should know better. You guys should well, know better. It does raise a question when we get to Marvel villains, though, since he is a Marvel in the Marvel comics, is he eligible for the Marvel villains? No, he was a movie character first. But he's Stop in it. Marvel comics. It doesn't count. I'm saying no. That's... The judge has ruled. I have spoken. I'm a, I'm going to appeal this. Where who's do I get to appeal to Greg? Can I appeal to Greg? Greg don't know shit from shit. Like you think he's going to be able to answer that question? Uh, no, Greg, he'll, he'll 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 answer the opposite of what I want just right. to spite me. Greg it's will probably like say any, any Greg will say any way you get Vader in there is a good idea. So, but he means Big Van, not Darth. Oh God. Anyway, back on track. Oh no, we're you know, like this is part of this is part of every list show. We got to go through this, but no. So for clarity, these are comic book characters first, not television characters or film characters first. These are our top tens. I don't know about you guys. When I was going through this list, I actually ended up with about fifteen characters that I listed, and then as we've always had to do, it's kind of like picking your favorite kids when you get to the end, and. I know this is always particularly tough for Dave because Dave likes to have honorable mentions. But before we go into the list, what we'll do is we'll talk about kind of what what our criteria was, how we made the determination. We're going to do our bottom five, take our break, come back and do the top five and, and wrap up the show with the POD as a question segment. And that's that's really going to be the show today. And we're just going to we're going to talk villains. We're going to talk bad guys. It's October. It's Halloween season. This is the right time to do it. Um, we do Ray, this, since this is your first list show, uh, we do this rotisserie style, a la a fantasy football draft. So whoever goes first, we'll do, they'll do their 10. It'll, it'll go one, two, uh, everybody will do their 10. When the third person does their 10, they'll also do their nine to kick off the n- next round. And it goes backwards. Inevitably, I'm going to fuck up the order. It happens every time I forget whose turn it it's is. It's like death and taxes, Ray. It is. That's I, and here's the thing. I like it. I, I even write it down. Like I even have the order. What little rundown there is. And I, like I said, I didn't send it to you. The rundown that I have has the order that I will inevitably forget. So just that that's how it's going to go. But let's dive in here before we, before we get started on the project. So villains. And I think as wrestling fans, we can all agree. There's a certain appeal to villains. There's a reason why folks almost, you know, and I, we talk about this in wrestling all the time, but like when you look at like cons, comic cons, or just, just different like sort of fan service and, and what people go nuts for, the villain really, a good villain is almost more popular than the heroes. And in a lot of times can be much more popular than the heroes. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely for films and, uh, and movie. You know, movies and TV for sure. I mean, there are some villain portrayals in comics that are just outright, you know. But but I think more for for films, uh, TV. Oh yeah, I mean, some of the guys on on my list, I mean, are definitely people who, for whatever reason, I mean, and that that was the thing. I mean, you're talking about criteria, and I know we're, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into that details, but everybody on this list for some reason appeals to me 
for some intangible reason sometimes or, or just they're cool not necessarily that you agree with their worldview that's for damn sure or galactic view or whatever the case may be but they all have charisma they all have some element about their portrayal that really strikes a chord and and i think yeah villains do that hero if you don't have a great villain then really no one gives a shit about the hero and, and that's usually the way it works uh, spot on i i think the biggest precursor is that heroes by nature have to be boring because doing doing the right Ricky Steamboat, right? John Cena for so long doing the right thing kind of makes you stay inside the lines and the heroes and anti-heroes Punisher, Batman, people like that are able to kind of paint outside the lines a little bit, which is why so many people gravitate to them, but like my most the of all heroes, the hero I hate, I, I dislike the most, not hate, is Superman, because literally it's just okay, cool. What, well, can, what can you not do? It took a while before Ray and I had a major disagreement, but here it is. You hate Superman? God damn it! Ray. I I don't I don't hate him. I appreciate him, but he's not interesting to me. Right. And, Big surprise that the fifty-something-year-old white dude likes vanilla. He's been, my, he's been my favorite since I was a kid. But, well, but again, and, and it might have something to do with the time you grew up and the time I grew up, because mm-hmm. Superman was somebody to look look up to, right? Superman was somebody that you could aspire to be. He was the best of our society, and that's right. He is as a character. But and other than that, like, what's interesting about him? There's, so, and again, there's, I know there are things. I'm not being... I'm not being completely fair. Oh, I have had this debate in the, in this house too. So. <laughs> as as we work on our heroes project for later on, <laughs> yes, right. Yes, let's year. do it. So we know who's going to have Superman on the in their list and who's not. But uh, but to 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 end my TED talk, to end my Teddy talk, um, I just think that inherently villains are more interesting because they're allowed to be interesting. Heroes right. almost have to have to. It's just like in wrestling. There's such a small spectrum of a box that a, a face is allowed to be in, whereas the heel can do whatever they want. And the best part about it is the villains, a good villain, is the hero of their story. Right. No, that's that's absolutely correct. And one of the things that uh, a lot of critics said about Avengers Infinity War that was true was that Avengers Infinity War wasn't about the Avengers. It was about Thanos. It was, Thanos. It, was, it, was, it, was it was a Thanos' or, sort of origin story establishment and really was about making him, I mean, he's the hero, quote-unquote hero in, in that sort of story. He's, he's what the story's about. So good, good stuff. Before The last thing we'll say before or that I'll ask before we jump in is I do – I always think it's fair for people to understand your criteria as to kind of what you, what went into your thinking and your process as you put together this top 10. And so for me, it was a couple of different things in this particular top 10. It's not just about the character. It's about the actor or actress portraying them and really how they made that role their own. And that's why I joked about this last week, but you know, there's certain villains out there now that the movies and films and television have been around for so long multiple actors have had different takes on particular types of characters. And so for me, I couldn't just say X, Y, and Z. I had to be like, 
such and such's portrayal of X, Y, and Z. Because I really felt that that was important and, and really drove how I made a lot of decisions and in, in what I what I picked. And then the other part of it was, um, yeah, just how did they connect with me in, in the story that they were trying to tell? How did they connect as a character? And, and lastly, longevity. You know, a lot of the characters that I have on this list didn't die in one movie or one episode. And, and I think that that shows the strength of the actor portraying that character and the character itself. So that was me. Ray, why don't you go first this time since we let Dave talk about um, his his selections first last time. Okay. I, I think your three are integral to the whole integrity of this list, of course. Um, but the two I'd add that were important for me were impact. Yeah. Um, how did the character impact not only the story, but the populace? And also for me, I think what was important was from a character perspective, did they did the character achieve their goal? What did they want to do? And did they do it? Right? Or did they get close to it? Did they to for example, like Joker, he wanted to make the world burn. Well, Gotham fucking burned, right? Like what are you trying to do and are you doing it? Or are you just out here just being a roadblock for a hero because the story calls for a roadblock? Like what is what is your goal? I think those were two that were important to me. Yeah, I mean, everything you guys said. I, the only thing I'd add is like every character on my list, there's an element of their performance that you look at that and, and at least on some level you can relate to what they're doing. And on some level you like them, e- you know, even even if you know you're not supposed to, but they still compel you to kind of like them, maybe even sympathize with them a little bit. They All of them have elements of their performance that, you can't say they're just pure evil. There's something else going on that, that really kind of resonates. So it, like, like I said, it's, it's something intangible. Um, there's an element of timelessness to all these performances. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a fun list to put together. That's for sure. I mean, every single one of these guys is like, yep, yep. Okay. That checks the box. It hits me some way. Excellent. Excellent. So, Last thing before we get started on the list, I, I forgot to mention this at the open. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds, a part of the Chairshot Media Group on thechairshot.com. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to us. We are going to jump in with part uh, half number one of the Villain Project. Patrick, drawn in- make sure. Rem- yes, sir. I don't think we didn't tell Ray that if somebody lists a oh, villain. Oh, yeah, I was going to go. Yeah, I was, I was that, about to go over those rules. That is higher up on your list we usually defer the conversation until it comes back to the, to whoever's got it highest on the list. So if you've Fair got enough, right. say, so yeah, go ahead, Patrick. Sorry. So, yeah. So if you say you choose, um, cheetah from wonder woman and Dave has her number two, Dave would raise his hand. So you got to watch the screen, make sure you're watching. And then we all go, I go full Midwest. I'm like, Oh, guess we'll go higher up on the list. Dave, Dave's got it higher or something like that, but yeah, we'll move it up. And then everybody will jump in and, and talk about why that, you know, that particular character's iteration when we get to the highest ranking uh, on an individual's list. We might be doing that a bit on this on this list. Oh, it it happens quite frequently. I think what I've come to learn, one is some of it's a generational thing. Like very much, there will be things that I will have lower on my list that folks that are a decade younger than me will have higher on theirs and versi vice same thing with dave like dave and i actually are relatively synchronous we've had a, a couple of odd times where we've had the numbers right on the nosy so that's always that's always kind of fun and then i always have like one 
or two that are just so out of left field that I get to just pontificate all on my own. And I, and I love it. And Dave usually does too. And you, I'm sure will have some as well. There's so many villains to choose from. Quite a few. Um, My list is very interesting. My, I will say this. Mine is decidedly sexist. I, I did not have any ladies on my list, which was surprising and a little disappointing to me. Uh, one honorable mention that I had one, I had one that I thought about, but I didn't. And that was, uh, that was Hela from, uh, from Thor Ragnarok, but, uh, Kate Blanchett, great as she was, I couldn't do it. Mine would have been Michelle Pfeiffer, Catwoman from Batman Returns. Yeah. So the order randomly drawn as in not randomly drawn. Uh, I picked Ray to go first since this is your first go around. So you're going to start with your number 10, then go Dave, then Patrick. And then every week we just shuffle people along. So next week, Dave will go first. I'll go second. Ray will go third and so on and so forth. And then you'll be bringing us home on week four, right? When we restart with the uh, Marvel villains. So kick us off with your number 10 villain. No pressure. Hey, this is sweating. Ray. Really tough. Really tough. Please. Um, with with my tenth pick in the <laughs> no um okay so my top five for sure are in order my bottom ten can be in any it's very can be changed around but for my number for my tenth pick I chose Adrian Veidt Osmandius from The Watchmen not and on anybody's made. list you can talk excellent, about Adrian Veidt though so. I really had to think about the criteria that has to come from a comic. And I think Adrian Veidt is one of the most underrated and underappreciated villains because he's not a villain. Right. What he's doing is trying to save the world. It's just he's killing half of it to do so. Um, I think the portrayal in the movie was fantastic. I think I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Watchmen, but we're not going to get into the Zack Snyder hate. But I'm a fan of the no, movie. Hey, no, Patrick on. likes that one. That's the oh, one okay. Zack Snyder movie I enjoy. My man, my man. And it was casted perfectly, by the way. Um, but I think there is something very beautiful and disturbing about wanting to save the world so fervently that you'll do it at any by any means necessary. And I love period pieces that reflect the time and kind of mess with things in a beautiful way. Like I enjoyed um, X-Men First Class when they had the Cuban Missile Crisis. I thought that was a cool way to encompass that. Well, with the Cold War, I think it was such a dope way to kind of play with the nuclear fear that was real. We talked about it last week on season on um, season finale of The Boys. Where, right. you know, um, where they, the whole um, a bad, a terrorist. Yeah, right, exactly. The duck and cover video, thank you. Um, so I think that Veidt's kind of the way he used and manipulated his standing as a member of the Watchmen and being the self-proclaimed smartest man in the world. And nobody caught it until the very end. And he achieved his goal. I think those are important distinctions. And he'll never be forgotten because he'll he'll always be the guy to save the world, but he'll always have to live with what he did. And, you, you know, at the end of the movie, when um, Warshak's uh, journal was given to the press, 
like he thought he was going to get away with it, but now the world's going to know, well, now nah, this is the guy that did this. Um, fantastic character, fantastic backstory, fantastic ideology. Um, really makes you question how important is saving the world? Is it important enough that there are like understandable losses or do you just deal with it and be, you know, because you want to do the greater good. Um, yeah. So I love the character. That's my number 10. Very nice pick. And like you said, he, he achieved it. Uh, and and he, he eventually achieved his goal. So yeah, excellent, excellent, excellent work. Good, good, strong start. Dave, how do you follow that? I'm not sure, but, uh, my number 10 is the only villain on my list that comes from a TV show. And it is uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's portrayal of Negan from The Walking Dead. Oh, Patrick's got it higher. And he's on my honorable mention list. So good, yep. good, good pick. So, so pause. Uh, mine, this is my left field. I'm certain nobody has this on their list. And that is Max von Sydow's portrayal of Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon. Purely. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. Uh, I will. Here's the thing is I will defend Flash Gordon till I die just as hard as I will run down the rise of Skywalker. And Max von Sydow makes that film. And in his just his megalomaniacal character that's just so used to world domination and everything bowing before him that he doesn't even care. Like, Earth is a plaything to him. He's bored. So we're going to mess with it to the point of near destruction until Flash Gordon comes and saves the day. And what people, a lot of people don't realize is that was one of the first movies I ever saw with a tag after the credits. So the credits roll, and there's Ming's ring, dust flying all around, and a gloved hand picks it up. And you hear the laughter of Ming the Merciless, and you know he wasn't dead. And I'm still waiting on my sequel. Yeah, right. Dino De Laurentiis, I'm waiting. Is he Let's still alive? Is he still alive? Yes. Okay. There's then there's hope. I don't, I don't know that he should make a movie. But hashtag 2027. Yeah, 2027. I'm in. Sam Jones and Ted has to make a cameo in Flash Gordon Sign too. Ask me up. So that was my number ten. My number nine, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure is uh, hopefully is higher on other people's list. This is well, it won't be on Dave's because he said it. His was a TV show. This is my my first TV show portrayal, and that is Mark Hamill's portrayal of the Joker in the Batman animated series. Honorable so many people mention. talk about. So many people talk about iconic well, roles. We're talking just because I have a have another Joker higher up, but it's not Hamill. No, so, yeah, if it's a different Joker, because I. I um, I, I had at one point on this list, I had three jokers listed. I had two at one point. I'm, yes. I'm down. I'm down to two. I, I kicked one out. Sorry, Jack Nicholson. You're you're my honorable mention. But and the reason why is just when you think about. I talked about longevity. Hamill has been the voice of the Joker for literally decades for 90s and created a personality all on its own that was distinctive from every film role that other people would take it on who and people who have done a great job doing it is he's just as synonymous with the character as any of the other people that i'm sure we're going to name and so for me 
is spot on. He's done it. He, when he kind of quote unquote retired after doing it for the last Arkham um, video game, I think was the last last time that he took on the mantle of of the Joker. It's just it's it's been brilliant. He's got that tone. He's got an accent to it, and has carried it for years on on television and animated almost as much of a personality and a characterization of, of the Joker as anybody else that's out there. So he was my number nine. Before I go to my number nine, I just want to shout out to Mark Hamill and uh, that commercial he's doing. Who is it? Patrick Stewart? With Patrick Stewart. Yeah, that Uber is. Uber uh, I'm my own daddy. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> commercial is brilliant. Uh, my number nine possibly might be higher on somebody else's list again, but it is uh, Alfred Molina's portrayal of Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. Great pick. That's he a fa- missed, I thought about missed, that. He missed my cut. Uh, he, Doc, Doc Ock was Doc Ock was one of my honorable mentions. Right. Yeah, me too. I mean, we haven't I, even gotten to my controversial one yet. So uh, when I was talking earlier about characters who are sympathetic and characters who you kind of genuinely like, Doc Ock is one of those ones because he starts off with such noble ambitions. I'm, I'm going to create a sustainable, uh, you know, way to contain fusion. And I'm going to do it by this neural implant and all these arms. And, of course, everything goes drastically wrong. And he has to watch his wife die. And then he he goes off the deep end. And in the end, he does redeem himself at the cost of his own life. But uh, I thought, you know, to do a character as complex as Doc Ock and and Alfred Molina's portrayal of him was just so spot on. And he really propelled that movie forward. As much as I loved William Dafoe and Green Goblin, another honorable mention, um, Molina's portrayal of Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 really took that movie and put it a a good step ahead as far as Spider-Man movies. I mean, even Homecoming and Far From Home, you take those into consideration. Spider-Man 2 is largely considered by a lot of us nerds as the best Spider-Man film still. And I think Alfred Molina's portrayal of Doc Ock really drove that and made that movie so exceptional. It really brought a lot out of the Spider-Man. Like like Ray was saying, the, the heroes are kind of boring. And, and you know, it's it's the villains and how the heroes react to what they're doing that makes it interesting. And this is a good example of that. So, yeah, Doc Ock gets number nine on my list for me. Fantastic pick. Octavius is really a tragic character, and Melinda did that well. That's, I, yeah, fantastic. My number nine is should surely be higher on your list, and I'd be disappointed if it's not. But I put him at number nine because, again, much like Bite, I don't think he's a. I don't think he's a villain. Okay. Magneto. He's higher. Well, higher. Which 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 version? Um um uh, sorry, Ian McKellen. Okay. Well, multiple people have played Magneto. I, had to think, I was like, who else? Is, oh, yeah, Fastbender. Fastbender's played him. You're right. You're right. I forgot about that. And Fassbender did a good job, but it's McKellen is Magneto. Yes. Gotcha. Um, yes, he's higher on my list. Okay. So then I go to number eight, right? Yep. You go right into your number eight. Let me apologize to you, gentlemen, ahead of time, because my eight, seven, and six are you're probably you're, you're probably gonna roll your eyes. No, uh, no judgment. I went all TV with these Correct. next with this next three. So just a, a heads up. I think it's important to note in lists like these that we tend to go big scale, cosmic, galactic, and with with our thought process of what a villain should be. Sometimes it's cool for a villain just to want to like fuck up the neighborhood, right? Like you they don't always have to destroy everything. My number eight is Robin Lord Taylor's version of Penguin from Gotham. 
I think one of the major reasons I chose him on my list was because he fundamentally changed the character. We have never seen a character the ver- of the version of the Penguin like that, right? The only other version which followed Robin Lord Taylor was on the video game that they did, one of the Batman videos games they did, and uh, the Telltale series. But I love the way that everything about the character was changed. He wasn't a short, fat dude. He wasn't inept, right? He, was, he wasn't necessarily rich. I, I, I love so much about the way he changed it. And he started off almost as like, um, forgive him, I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I watched Gotham. He was Falcone's young boy. I think I so, believe yeah. He was. Yeah. And, like, and, and then he had to be Fish Mooney's young boy. And like he, he raised up and took over like Gotham. Whereas every other iteration you see, the Cobblepots are almost as powerful before they lost their money as the Waynes, right? So I love the way he flipped the character and everything he set out to do, he did, right? Except for kill Batman, but Batman didn't start until like the last damn episode, right? But everything, he even co-opted Gordon m- multiple times. He controlled, um, he controlled Barbara. He controlled... Um, the the uh, Riddler, he was the overarching point of that show, and I think that now when I think of what Penguin can be, I think of Robin Lord Taylor. I don't think of Danny DeVito anymore, and I think that was huge in my in my decision making because you don't always have to destroy the world. He ran Gotham, legitimately ran Gotham. For of 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 for a significant portion portion of that television show, and um, yeah, and I just think the I think the portrayal is fantastic. So um, I know that's completely off your off your off your guys' radar, but no, I mean that's that's the fun of these lists. That's why we try to make it clear these are our lists. They're not they're not anybody else's. They're ours, and you know, as nerds, we feel like we should share it. So if it drives somebody to check out Gotham. Then, then we have succeeded. The best part about me saying that was you guys' face. Y'all like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I I never watched I never watched the show. Right. Uh, uh, full disclosure, I I catch a lot of grief over the not DC shows that I have not watched. So that that's where it comes from. There, I don't, Dave. I don't know if you keep up on Gotham or not. I haven't watched enough of it to really jump in. Uh, with uh, agree, but, but no I can't agree or disagree with Ray because I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, no judgment. No, I'm not. <laughs> but it's a show I'd no, like to check out. Well, I thought I was, I thought I was being shunned from the family. I feel a little bad. No, 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 no. We wouldn't shun you this early. You're part of the family, Ray. Yeah, we got to wait till we get down to like number three or something before we shun you per- publicly. Okay. Speaking of numbers, you're number eight, Dave. What do you got for us? So my number eight might be higher on somebody's list. I, I'm not sure, but it's uh, Gene Hackman's portrayal of Lex Luthor, and that I was afraid of that. And and I will say, I really like Kevin Spacey's portrayal of Lex Luthor in Superman Returns. Oh. I'm going to re-raise my hand as you can you can run down oh. Kevin Spacey when we get to Lex Luthor. Sweet. In, well, can, in, a, in about a, in about a turn. All right. Can I go further? I like Jesse Eisenberg's version of Lex no, Luthor. No, not that I yes. can't. I Look can't. Look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> I can't do that. Sorry, he lost me at the Jolly Rancher. We'll, we'll explain that on another show. I'd love fair, to explain Fair that. enough. All right, so my number seven, 
your number comes eight. from the or my number eight before we go into mine my number eight comes from the netflix marvel series daredevil and that's vincent d'onofrio's portrayal of the kingpin all right see ray's got a hand up so we will pause we'll jump right into my seven dave and we're going to roll right into gene hackman's portrayal of lex luther it's a damned shame we didn't get lex luther in superman 3 probably makes it a markedly better movie just by virtue of having gene hackman he just i and this is one of the things like it's kind of tough because he was he was goofy but not goofy just in the way that he portrayed the character, uh, not not Ned Beatty goofy, but you just you loved him because he was like I'm I'm a criminal genius, I'm a mastermind. No, he was always trying to play the angles, and he was always trying to get get the upper hand. And heck, he wasn't even bald until the second movie, second movie, quote unquote. Uh, but just yeah, I, he's he's who I think of. Like even after all these extra other portrayals, and you know I don't know we. We haven't really talked about Smallville, but a lot of people talk about the Lex Luthor. I don't even remember who played him in Smallville, but he was an integral part of that show. And a lot of people love that portrayal as well. But for me, it's it's always been Gene Hackman, probably because it was the first for me. You know, that was the first like superhero movie I watched. And that was the first supervillain that was there. And I will never forget Superman 2 escaping out of the hot air balloon when he leaves Otis behind. Right. I, I mean... What made the first two Superman work so well is you had two of the best casting decisions ever. Christopher Reeve as Superman, who is Superman. And then right. you had Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, who portrayed the Lex Luthor character. You can tell he's smart. You can tell he's arrogant. You can tell he's a little maniacal. He's definitely got his own worldview about things, but he is very charming and he is funny. And, you know, and Gene Hackman portrayed that so well, just, you know, how he kind of he's always baiting Superman in and kind of outsmarting him all the way up until the end of Superman 2, where Superman uses that intelligence against him to conquer, you know, the uh, trifecta of Kryptonians. So, yeah, I, I love Lex Luthor. I love Gene Hackman's portrayal of Lex Luthor. I mean, he was he was so good. I can't really think of anybody else they could have put in that role in that time frame. Who um who would have handled it that well and and he he oh, really oh, oh geez God, can you imagine that <laughs> Dom DeLuise is Lex Luthor <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it yeah, I love it that would have been Sign grand me up. yeah <laughs> but hey, uh, shout out to, shout out to Margot Kidder uh, hell yeah Margot Kidder the uh, where is Chris She's Platt when we need him Platt. yeah you are the charter member of her fan club Platt's Platt's busy writing her love letters right now. Because the Browns certainly aren't doing anything to make him happy. Yeah. Oh man, Platt just wants to spend a weekend at Niagara Falls on a bearskin rug with Margot Kidder. That—that's all he lives for. Okay, and so Ray, your number seven. <laughs> yeah, seven. Um, so I am going. I'm going to go to the Marvel Universe. Wait, but did I'm we not skip? Did go. we skip me? No. Oh no, it seven, is. Yeah. No, 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 no. That was his eight. You're right. Because my number seven was Gene Hackman, so we went back. So you're right. There it is. There it is. There's Patrick O'Dowd fucking up the order. <laughs> Already, huh? I told you it was going to happen. I have a feeling because I, I know Patrick's fond of this performance. I think this one might be higher on his list, but it's Terrence Stamp's portrayal of General Zod in Superman nope, 2. No, I didn't nope. put him off that list. Wow. Neil before Zod and all that? Nope. Oh, I love this. I, I don't like, I hate Zod. Like, just character and i know the last thing to say 
comic book nerd fans out there. I've never cared for Zod. I love Terrence Stamp and his portrayal of Zod, but he was an honorable mention for me. Still not the most controversial and the honorable mention on my list, but uh, yeah. So yeah. wax poetic on General Zod. I mean, I just, I you know, <laughs> just Terrence Stamp's portrayal of, um, you know, as good as the first Superman was, and then for him to come in here and, and I mean, and, and Superman two is similar to Spider-Man two, that the first one was excellent, but this, it's rare that sequels are better than the originals. Superman two is better than the original Superman. A lot of that had to do with, yes, Gene Hackman is a big part of the reason Superman two is better than Superman, the original Superman, but Terrence stamp his portrayal of Zod, the arrogance, the, and even when the extended cuts come out, you get to see just how, you know, megalomaniacal a jackass he really was. And just his view that it's almost Aryan in, in the way he approaches things and just pure bloods and that sort of thing with Kryptonians. Right. And, you know, you compare that to who was it? Uh, Michael Shannon, who did it in, in, uh, in Man of Steel, who did really well, I thought. But it wasn't Terrence right. Stamp's portrayal who just who just knocked it so far out of the park and was a perfect. And all he wanted, like you said, Patrick, all he wanted was for the son of Jarrell to kneel before him, you know, kneel before Zod, kneel before Zod. That's all that matters. I also love, I also love that he couldn't pronounce, he did. He never pronounced Houston, Texas correctly. He always called it Houston, Houston, Houston. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, the other two were good. The other, his two compatriots, but they weren't him. The astronauts off the moon. Yeah. (laughs) Kick him into orbit. So I I love I love Terrence Stamp as General Zod. I thought he really made that movie pop, and that's just one of those performances that yeah I mean because it's older and I was a kid when it came out, but it just has stuck with me all these years, and it's one of my favorites. And you know, he, Chancellor Valorum from the Phantom Menace, one of your favorites, Patrick. So um, you know, Terrence Stamp's probably underrated as an actor. I'd say. Oh God, he's terrific. He's he's one of the greats. All right, now we'll we'll let Ray do his number seven. I am looking at my list, and I just had a a stark realization that I'm young as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all pulling out Superman two and and Flash Gordon, and I'm talking about the MCU. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to. Whew. Okay, we'll get um, there. Yeah, yeah, but all all your choices have been fantastic, and I've seen all the movies you talked about. So I haven't seen Flash Gordon, but the other ones I've seen. <gasps> <laughs> Dude, we got blasphemy. I've seen that for the nerd review yet. We do Flash Gordon for the nerd review, and we'll we'll there. make Ray write a we'll make Ray watch Flash Gordon and do a write up. Well, we need a choice okay. for this week. Uh, if you if you want me to, I'm game. I don't know. We got to find out if if I'm not going to make you pay for it. That's always the thing. We got to look and see if it's available streaming somewhere. Although you probably should it, pay for it. it well, <laughs> apparently, this movie is old as hell in review. That's part of hey now. That's, that would be <laughs> my wife's review. Charm, actually, thank you. Nah, no, I'm just joking. Old movies are great. Um, okay, number seven. Yes. Sticking with my theme from my last, uh, my last choice. I am also going with again another person whose goal wasn't to take over the world or in the world or kill everybody. It was just I want what I want from the MCU. Killgrave, Purple Man. Ah uh, yes, Kilgrave. Kilgrave didn't make my honorable mentions, but he, but it was close. What was so beautiful about the character Kilgrave is again he was he was a tragic character. Kilgrave was abused by his parents. They like they they basically experimented on him basically his whole childhood. 
But I think what made Kilgrave such a an, an interesting character was besides the fact that he had one of the coolest powers we've seen on, on screen before, just the ability to talk and make you do something, um, was that he just wanted to have a good life. That's all he wanted. He just really wanted to just have a good life. You know, he wanted to have a girl he wanted. He wanted to have some money. He wanted to just chill in his house and do what he wanted. Um, but he did that, you know, for, at the sake of killing and raping everybody. Right. You know, um, the, 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 I think the, the scene, the two scenes that stick in my mind from Jessica Jones season one is the scene with the dinner when he's forcing all of the, the staff to like serve them and Jessica won't get back with them. And like, he has the girl like start slicing her throat. Like that is, that's stuck in my head. And the very beginning when, you know, he raped a girl and then forced a girl to kill herself. It's, it's, he's, he's a, he's a reprehensible human being, but like, you can see, well, shit, if you grew up like him, you'd probably be reprehensible too. Um, right. He, he's way worse in the comics too. Yeah. <laughs> like if you've ever, if you've ever read comics, in the comics, he's, he's, and it's a ima- it's hard to imagine that you could get more base than that. And yet they do. <laughs> They and they really do exactly, and Jessica's the perfect person I think to be going against him. This is a, this isn't this is one of the situations where the actual I think the hero makes the villain better, where it's the opposite normally, because Jessica is a piece of shit herself, and I think she finds her redemption in realizing that well part of the reason I'm a piece of shit is because of Kilgrave. Yeah. Um, but and David Tennant is fantastic. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, he played the role perfectly. And I like, I love to see people take their own spin on a role that, especially a role that nobody thought would be a big deal and make it iconic. And I think Tenet is an iconic, made Kilgrave an iconic character in that little nook of the MCU. So shout out to Kilgrave, shout out to David Tennant. I, I love the portrayal and he achieved his goal. That's important to me. Oh, I got to go again, right? Six, right? Yep. Yep, we're down to your six. Six is Kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio. How you say his last name? D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Yeah, that guy. Um, I, lo- I love him as an actor. I could never see He's Vincent D. Right. Um, I mean, and really, you can't go wrong with... I don't even hate Michael Clark Duncan's portrayal, but you can't really go wrong with any of the Kingpin characters that in no. portrayals. Um, but what made... Uh, Kingpin and the Daredevil TV show, I think, so profound to me was again he he there was a he gave the character an innocence that we may have never seen in any other of the iterations. He gave the character a fragility. He gave the character kind of heart that there are parts of that show where you're literally cheering for him, and then like he smashes somebody's head. Through like and through the <laughs> through the door, you he know, has a bit of a temper, yes, a little bit, right? Um, but he's fantastic, and again, he just wanted to control Hell's Kitchen. Like, give me my neighborhood, right. homie. Like, I'm not trying to do nothing else. Let me have my neighborhood, bro. That you that's the thing nothing. of that's the thing I've always loved about Kingpin is that he has never been interested in anything more than controlling the underworld of New York City and controlling his little corner of New York City. And, and you know, and we 
talk about you talked about earlier sort of the cosmic heroes and all these like grand big like save the universe sort of things part of what makes daredevil such a a compelling comic and a compelling character is that he's one of those what they call quote-unquote street-level heroes Mm -hmm. spider-man's considered a street-level hero in most cases like when when he ends up in scenarios where we're dealing with the universe they it's always like peter parker's in over his head like he's always like in awe of say Tony Stark or Reed Richards. And you know, Daredevil's much the same way and everything that he combats, uh, it almost always comes back to Kingpin. Like he's always there. And you mentioned it, Ray. Kingpin wins just as much as he loses in you know, whether it's the comics or here. Uh in this Daredevil television show. Like he gets put in jail but he comes back out and he has got one goal getting his shit back together. And it's all for the love of a woman. And his, he's also... Oh, oh, sorry, please. No, please finish. Well, just just his his love of Vanessa motivates him as he moves further along in, in keeping his, his empire going. I, and I think Kingpin, too, is the... And I know this is, this is a classic trope, but he's a character of who always goes with the classic, well, if I lost the battle, I'm still going to win the war kind of guy oh yeah you know and he'll even sometimes do the thing where he'll like when he went to jail there was a plan for that he he knew what he was doing um and you know when he went to jail got the information he wanted then figured out who daredevil was so he could make his life hell um so yeah he and and i think he's one of the to not be tony stark reed richards shuri level genius he is one of the smartest characters in he's the a MCU. Self, he's a self-made man. Exactly. And there are many times in the comics that they've had to go to him for help because he is kind of the moral compass of the underground. Yeah. So, I, I, but I, I just think Kingpin's fantastic. I think the portrayal of Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. Close enough. I think yeah. he played it. I think he played it beautifully. And I mean. And dude is a fantastic actor in general. I think all of us can agree that the overwhelming majority of our choices, the actor portraying them is fantastic on top Absolutely. of it, which probably led to the reason we chose it. Um, but yeah, uh, didn't didn't he win an Oscar at one point? Um, I don't like know. Best I mean, he's, actor? he's been around since Full Metal Jacket. So, I mean, and even before then. So he's he's a very well-respected actor. Wouldn't surprise me. I'd have to... You know what? I got IMDb up. While Dave starts going into his number six, I'm going to IMDb real quick. See well, what we got. it might be short-lived unless your number six is the same as mine because my number six is Ian McKellen's Magneto from the X-Men higher on my Still higher on my list. All right. So there you go. All right. All right. Your number, number six. for me, number six for you. All right. My number six is the most recent character portrayal on my list. And we just finished reviewing him, and that's Anthony Starr's Homelander. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I thought hard about putting him on the list. I didn't even think about it. I don't know why it didn't cross my mind. Well, it, it's funny because I tried to think about, like, it's... Because I think and a lot of times, and this is why next week's list is a list of villains from independent comics... The, the mainstream stuff that we see a lot of like when we think comic book villains, we think Marvel and DC. And so most of my list is Marvel and DC, but 
the 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 way that Anthony Starr has gone from arrogant power mad super superman you know perversion to completely unhinged i need to be loved superman perversion is <laughs> just it's just outstanding he is the driving force of the seven he is what keeps the boys and the show going it's all about homelander all about his twit like Vought is secondary to Homelander and he he is I, I just come season three when he's going to be completely unhinged God knows what he's going to do in retribution for all that he's lost you've seen a range of emotion Anthony Star like Anthony not Anthony sorry A and there's no H in there Anthony like Mark Anthony he has gone from wanting like wanting a family, wanting to be raised. We've we've talked about parentage and motherhood and desperation to have a, a parental figure in his life, to wanting to be a parent, to losing it all, to having everything crumble around him. He finds love, he loses it, and he is about to bra- he is about to raise hell on the world when we come back to the boys and it's just outstanding and to see him start just like go from that like fake persona to the public to immediately that straight face seething anger out of the eyes it's chilling it's chilling i love it and that's my number six so we're about to take a quick commercial break everybody when we come back we're going to go through and do our top five character portrayals and uh, i can only imagine that they're going to get bigger and better from here just based on where we've started but before we go i have to pay the bills by speaking a commercial tell you to go on over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot support the chair by buying one of our many many wonderful shirts heck ray cash has even wearing one today the famous jesus did the job and his dad ran the company uh t-shirt find that one over there there is a bandwagon nerd shirt a couple of shirts for what i like to call our sister program of winner is you the video game podcast that's out there of course a plethora of just chairshot.com shirts they come in your standard style or if you're feeling fancy you can spend a few dollars more and get them soft style the preferred style of one miranda morales the queen of soft style so get over there if you love us if you love what we do spend a little money go over to the chair shot or sorry, go over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and buy a shirt. When we come back, our top five television and movie comic book villain portrayals. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on thechairshot.com. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? Chairshot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. This is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. And welcome back, fellow basement dwellers. We are here to wrap up our top 10 villain, comic book villains, 
in film and television. We left off. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With me doing our number six, or my number six, which was Anthony Starr's Homelander, finally going to get to him in our number five here, my number five, and that's Sir Ian McKellen's Magneto. As we kind of hinted and intimated a little bit as we talked about this guy earlier when Ray, when Ray dropped it, I, I know nothing against Michael Fassbender. Ian McKellen is Magneto. And really from the moment he shows up in the first X-Men movie where he has that encounter with Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier and says, we are the future Charles, not them and walks away. He's it's just beautiful. And he does this beautiful blend of straddling the line between doing good, but really only doing good for the good of I like, you can understand his worldview. You can understand why he acts the way that he acts. And why he takes the action that he does and why he will go from being the straight up bad guy in X-Men to an X-Men 2. He's a little more ambiguous until you get to the end of the movie where he then again tries to destroy all humans. And we won't talk about X3. That, that movie's trash. He's trash. The fucking horrible. The first X-Men uh, 3. Everybody dies. The, right. The first just absolute shitstorm attempt at making dark just Phoenix. garbage movie but anyway but his his role was so iconic that when they came along with the first class movies and then they did the days of futures future passing his role and patrick stewart's role were so integral and iconic that fox was like we need to blend these guys into that movie's timelines and because you just couldn't deny sir ian mckellen I cede the floor to the to the two of you. No, I mean, like like you're saying, yeah. I mean, what's the guy's name? Fassbender is that is that who was in Michael, first, Michael Fassbender? Michael Fassbender, yeah. I, and I love him. I thought he's excellent in that role. But yeah, Ian McKellen just because you, when you think about all the different directors he worked with and all the different timelines that they integrated him in, and he just like you're saying, Patrick, he's somebody who you can definitely understand 
where he's coming from. If I was a mutant and I was ostracized and hunted by average assholes, I'd want to use my own power to eliminate that threat. And he's all about that. But, you know, he'll take these diversions when he sees, okay, I got to help Charles out here for the greater good of my own race, because this is a side quest that needs to be dealt with before we can get back on track. And he does all that stuff so well. And you can see where he is and the interplay and the relation and the conflict between these two best friends is what drives these, the X-Men in the comics and in the movies forward. And that's awfully hard to pull off. And they and they pull that relationship off. And like Days of Future Past is an underrated as fuck movie, in my opinion, just because it's complex and you can get lost in the plot. But when you see the two versions of Xavier and Magneto and how that all interrelates with each other, it's really done extraordinarily well. But yeah, Magneto's, I mean, Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen's portrayal of Magneto is just so spot on through all these different movies, through all these different directors. That's, you know, I mean, he's he's the man. It it helps that Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart are real life best friends. Yes. So that helps with the chemistry. But, you know, neither one of you said it, but Magneto was a damn Holocaust survivor. Yep. So he's seen genocide and knows what is not only happening, but going to happen. So his thought process is to protect my people, strike first. What I love about the character and what I love about not just McKellen's version, but Magneto in general. But what I love about the dichotomy between him and Xavier is when Stanley created those characters, they were a kind of offshoot of Malcolm X and Dr. King. Yep. And so, first and foremost, to show you that my man Stan Lee was woke back in the 60s, number one. But number two, if you know those two people and know the dichotomy they have between each other, and that they often did not get along, but they appreciated what each other did for the for the the movement, if you will, you it, it gives more historical and emotional credence to why these two care each other about so much about each other so much and why Magneto can literally go try to kill the entire human race and then the next day him and Charles are hanging out playing chess. Playing chess. It gives you some reasoning as to why. But yeah, well, and I think McKellen is one of our generation's finest actors in general. Uh, so the fact that he allowed himself or lowered himself to be in a comic book movie and that's like his, that's other than Gandalf, like that is what he's known for. Yeah, he he embraces those roles so well. Whether it's whether it's Gandalf, whether it's Magneto, and this is a guy who was in films like Apt Pupil, was you know Richard the Third, mm-hmm. you know Shakespearean trained actor. He's been Broadway knighted, Legend. yep, knighted for fuck's sake. Yet here we are, Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. doing doing a little comic book movie. Oh, I love it. Yeah, great choice, man. Well, on to uh, my number five then. Uh, This might be higher. I know Patrick excluded it. He already said earlier he did, but it's uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker. Nope. Go ahead. Wow. Yeah. I'm shocked that this didn't make either of your list. Well, well, if you remember what Ray said, Ray said he had to cut one. So I think we can guess what the one is that's left. Yeah. But. Right, right. And he was, and he, honest to God, what was on my list for a long time. And when it came down to like, as I was sitting here 
what kind of one of the other criteria that I didn't put on here when I go back, what what are the what are the characters I go back to or like will rewatch and review? And not that I don't go back and rewatch the Joker, but this and this sounds silly. I watch I watch Flash Gordon on a whim. Like, and at the end of the day, that's how that ended up on my number 10 is I watch Flash Gordon all the fucking time. Like, if we actually nerd review Flash Gordon, it's a five out of five for me. I know. It's probably a five out of five for me, too. But I, and you I'm know, OK with it. And I would almost suggest since we all I'm suspecting all of us have Heath Ledger's Joker somewhere else on the list that it almost makes more sense to talk about Jack Nicholson's Joker when you're talking about Heath's Joker because the comparisons between the two and the contrast between the two are, are kind of like a, a singular discussion in certain respects. So I'm, I mean, but you're the only one who put him on the list. Right. Right. But right, I, I cut him off. No, I'm just <laughs> I mean, well, this is, this is the thing that's tough about the Joker and why I think it's really telling and arguably the, the most known and popular villain, comic book villain, period, mm-hmm. like period. Right. There are three different iterations between the three of us that that we have talked that we are going to talk about today. And there are other versions that we have we are not going to talk about that are in my opinion just as relevant. Whether that's, you know, Caesar Romero from the 60s, which you can judge all you want, he's a, it's an iconic performance. Whether you liked or hated Jared Leto's version, uh, Joaquin Phoenix was he even the Joker? We don't know. Really, at the end of the day. Right. So the character itself is iconic. And there's so many different directions that it's been taken. That, like, what I think is tough is arguing the definitive Joker. There is none. You know what I mean? Because there's no such thing. Right. And so well, there is I say you go ahead. Point. Yeah. I, so I, I say you go ahead and t- t- talk to us about Nicholson. Because right. I think we're going to jump in, too. I mean... Jack Nicholson was the first person to portray the Joker truly after Cesar Romero did. And, and right. as far as Tim Burton's vision from the 1989 Batman, where it's very colorful and, and, and Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, you know, Heath is a different story and we'll talk about that, but Jack's portrayal of the Joker was, I thought a little bit truer to the comics than probably Ledger's was because you know, Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker is kind of, you can tell he's unhinged. You can tell just how, I, I mean, and, and there is a level of evil to Jack Nicholson's a little bit more than Heath's, I thought, because he's putting shit in people's cosmetic products to kill them. He's doing stuff, you know, shaking people's hands and burning them off and just sitting there talking to their corpses afterwards and like, I'm glad you're dead. You know, and he just goes off oh, laughing. That was that was actually my favorite line of his was yeah. I'm glad you're dead. And just I'm laughing dead. <laughs> laughing maniacally and and, oh. and his version of art, you know, how he looks at the stuff that uh Kim Basinger's Vicky Vale has done and he's like crap crap and it's all these epic photos of just these important moments but then it's the pictures of the corpses. And he says no, that, that, that's art. You know, that's sort of thing. so he captured elements of the Joker from the comics. I thought better than he did. My other favorite moment, and it's all Jack Nicholson, is he stole my balloons. Right. He stole my balloons. Why didn't anybody tell me he had one of those things? Bob Gunn. And he just shoots Bob. Just right. Because he's pissed. Right. 
one of the other great lines where does he get these wonderful toys you know and they and jack nicholson and michael keaton's relative portrayals really redefine the superhero movie i mean you're talking 1989 and really we hadn't seen anything worth this shit from superhero comic book movies since superman 2 you know you had superman 3 which was eh, okay but really nothing beyond that And, and and i mean i distinctly remember in 89 people really I don't know about concerned, but skeptical that they could pull off a Batman movie and make it not so campy like the TV show was. And Tim Burton brought this really dark but still colorful sort of world. And Jack Nicholson was front and center of that. So like you're saying, there's different ways to perceive the Joker. And he's been portrayed many times. And he's reinvented himself in the comics more than any character possibly ever. So Jack Nicholson's version as far as the 1989 Batman, I thought was absolutely magnificent. And there's a lot of people who will die on the hill and say his version is the version. I'm not one of those people, but I recognize a great damn performance from a tremendous actor when I see it. So yeah, that's why I got Jack Nicholson's Joker at number five for me. I think what's important to note about that Joker is what you just said, that that is the, that is the archetype for the character, I believe. And, and I know, I know, comics and whatnot but i mean so many so every joker iteration that's came out since then has taken from that joker and said okay how can i flip it taking from that and said okay how can i add to it hamill did that ledger did that leto said and in fact leto's closer to jackson and the other other ones because they were both gangsters right right and that's the thing that a lot of us don't record don't remember a lot of people don't think about is that nicholson was a gangster was but it was just like unhinged. The rest of them were just psychopaths or clowns or whatever. Um, but that I, I I think you're dead on. I think while the other ones may be more iconic, I think Nicholson's is the most important. Right, because he really set the table. I, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and launched that franchise. Mm-hmm. Good pick. Thank you. All right, Ray. Well, take us to your number five, sir. So, um, of the 10 I had, I only had, I only had one, I had two that were not in the major DC Marvel world. And one, of course, Osmandius is Watchmen of the DC franchise, but this right. is my one that's outside of that world. Okay. Dave, you mentioned Negan earlier. Well, I think the only person in Walking Dead that could usurp Negan is Alpha. Uh. Samantha Morton's Alpha, I think. Uh, I put her number five. And the reason I put her, I did have a woman. I just thought about that. My bad. There you go. Wow. There you go. Uh, You're so progressive. You you don't even know you're progressive. Well, that, and when you, when you think of alpha, do you think of a gender? No, you just think that motherfucker crazy. (laughs) Um, but I picked alpha because yes, Negan changed drastically changed the entire landscape of the walking dead. But when Negan eventually became good, Nigga eventually did the right thing, and he was doing the right thing for his people. Um, but I think Alpha, there's no redeeming quality about her. Like, Alpha willingly would kill her daughter. Alpha would kill anybody if it furthered her cause. Negan only killed people when he had to, right? But also, um, if you think about both their major moments on the show, Negan, when he has them and he kills Glenn and Abraham and everybody else, and the Pike scene when Alpha infiltrates and kills everybody's heads off and puts them on the Pikes, right? Yeah. 
as the end of like end of season nine or exactly. somewhere there. Think of the reasons why both of them did that. Negan was responding to them killing his people. Right. And Negan said, one person got to die. Everybody's good. Alpha just did it because she wanted to. I don't think there had been any killing yet of her people yet. No killing of their people. It was very much a, you're in our, like, you're in our she was very, she's very territorial. Mm-hmm. Right. And like set up these boundaries and it's Carol's arrogance to try and like push that, that gets them the losses of life that they get. Yeah. And her son. Yes. Right. So, um, She's just egomaniacal. She is. But but I think the cool part about The Walking Dead in general, but especially about Alpha, is when you go into the backstory, you realize she was always messed up. Mm-hmm. In fact, she, what makes her so different than any other person that's been on the show, feels like she didn't become herself until the world ended. Well, the rest of them kind of had to reinvent themselves. Even Beta had to reinvent himself. Right. Um, but Alpha found herself in the apocalypse. Um, but, I mean, what she's been able to do to the compounds, the number of people she's killed, the number of lives she's changed, I think she usurps Negan in every way. And, yeah, she's... And, and I think it's even cool the fact that Negan, Negan killed her. I think that's even cool because that was... Negan was redeeming himself by killing the one big bad that was worse than him. Uh, so yeah, and he Alpha knew is my spot. And he knew it. Exactly, he knew it, which is which is why he, he came to her in the first place. You know, yes. I'm still making my way through The Walking Dead, but I've read enough about the comics. I'm at the end of the comic right now, so I know all about Alpha. Walking Dead villains, I really thought about putting the governor on this list. You know, I mean, he was a fucking yeah, crazy dude, too. too. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean, that's the appeal of The Walking Dead in general is the the really like when you're when there are no rules because there are no rules. Right. Like everybody's dead. There are no rules. Some people are still trying to live by those rules and others are making their own. And I'll talk about this a little bit further because we still we do. We are going to cover Negan on this list. It's already been mentioned on Dave's. I've already said he's higher up on mine. So he's coming. But really, that's what I love about Negan um alpha to me alpha the reason I don't love alpha is because we the level of ridiculous that we start to get to by the time we get to this point in in walking dead push the boundaries of my ability to continue to like buy characterizations and villains and and I'm not saying that I don't know like it's just it's, it's it's never been a character that's overly blown me away like i was ready for a season i i finally watched the season 10 finale it's been sitting in my dvr forever i finally watched it today and i was just kind of like thank you (laughs) just just thank you whatever whatever's next whatever so but alpha yes um in a great power play in the way that she just she has her shit on lockdown and her people on lockdown is is unparalleled can I mention one more thing about her real quick? And Go and for it, and then you can go on to your number four. Yep. Um, what I think that's really cool about Alpha as a character is The Walking Dead, the show, I think what a lot of people have mit, uh, misconception about the show is that the show is about zombies. It's not. No, it's not at all. They're the background of the show. The show is about the human condition and how humans will react given the, uh, the apocalyptic situation. 
Zombies are just the background and the scenery of the show. In science well, terminology, zombies are the control. <laughs> very much so. Not only are you the lawyer, but you are a scientist. No, that's DP. No, that's, DP. that's DP. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, was, <laughs> I, I just wanted y'all to shout him out. Uh, <laughs> but I think the beauty of Alpha as a character is she's the only person that's not only used the scenery, but made the scenery part of the show. I think that's a, okay. that's a cool dynamic of it. She's, but, she's, so, yeah. she's fucked, Ray. I'll agree with you there. There you go. Oh, she's gone. Yeah. <laughs> she's so, it's, yeah. When, 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 um, Lydia realizes how her daddy really died. <laughs> right. She's gone. Well, um, well. number four, this one is near and dear to my heart, uh, for so many reasons. And it's, uh, Michael B. Jordan's Eric, uh, Killmonger. Okay. It's higher on mine too. Really? So I put it at the lowest? I need to The, the black guy put it lower than the two white dudes. How about that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well actually I'm 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 very pleasantly surprised. Uh but I just felt like my three were bigger in scope. But sure, go ahead. My number four, maybe. I don't know. We'll just go with it and see if you guys have him have him higher. Uh Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki in the MCU. Okay. He he is my number four as well. Is he? There you go. See, there's there's the one Ray where we're similarly aligned. I mean, okay. I'll start it off and then kick it over to you, Patrick. But I mean, <laughs> Loki's probably the most liked villain on any of our lists because everybody loves Loki. You know, he's he's mischievous. He's and he started off with what he was trying to do with Avengers, which was getting the Thanos's good graces and just. I'm going to unleash all this shit upon the world. And he started off kind of that way. And then, of course, the issues he had with his brother, with Thor in the first Thor. And we won't talk about Dark World or all that kind of shit. But, uh, you know, he just he just evolved into a character because he is the antihero in many ways. He's got his really bad, nasty qualities. But then he's brought in to do the right thing. And ultimately, he does die for the right reason, you know, to stand up to Thanos, to try to take Thanos out. Patrick's air quoting something. Right reason, uh, you know. No, die. Oh, die. Well, yeah. I'm air. I'm air, oh, I'm air oh, quoting. One die. one version of him. One version yeah. of him died. There's another version of him that's running around in 2012 somewhere. But Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki, the the to bring that mythological character, the the trickster, everything that he does, the power of illusion, setting people up, putting things in motion, manipulating things to his benefit. Uh, he does that so well. And, and Loki's just this iconic character. Arguably, you could make the argument that he's the more iconic between him and Thor, at least in the MCU right now. When you compare the contrast, Chris Hemsworth versus Tom Hiddleston, a lot of people are going to say, I prefer Loki. And that's okay because of his portrayal of him and how he's done it. And yeah, he's he's definitely a villain. But he's got so many redeeming qualities about him that he he's just more expansive, in my opinion, as far as like this list is concerned. Just what he brings to the MCU, where he turned into from a, a supporting character into a central character by the time it was all said and done. So that's why I got him at number four. People don't remember Thor one or Thor the Dark World for anything other than Tom Hiddleston's portrayal as Loki. Right. Period. And this is coming from a guy who loves Thor as a character in a comic book. And one doesn't think the dark world is quite as terrible as everybody says it is. It's just not special. And I think that's the thing. Like, yeah, you know, Ray's giving a big thumbs down. 
it's not particularly bad. It's just not special. It's like Iron like, Man, nothing, like Iron Man two. Right. It's very much an intermediary movie that was a vehicle to get people to the Avengers flicks and, and the Guardians of the Galaxy flicks for that matter. More so than an actual vehicle for the character of Thor, which is why Ragnarok is so much more popular because Thor feels more central to the to the stories. The the thing that keeps you going in in both Thor Thor um sorry, I'm losing it. The Dark World, the Avengers is is Loki and and again, somebody that you can empathize. Here's an orphan. Somebody who's taken from his home, who's lied about his lied to about his parentage, who has always felt that he's second best, that nothing short of the love of his mother, the woman who raised him, prevents him from, you know, really going off the deep end. And even then, he'll do anything to protect her and preserve that relationship. And, and is you know, and is evidenced by his his turn, quote unquote, turn in the dark world. It's her death that drives him to then help Thor defeat the dark elves and yet not turn him so much that he is above usurping the throne from his father, faking his own death and being the God of the God of trickery. That's why I can't wait for this Loki show to hit Disney plus. Cause we get bad Loki back like bad Loki who was trying to take over the world picks up that, you know, picks up the power stone or not the power stone. Um, Based on the Tesseract. What's it? The Tesseract. Yeah picks up the space zone and portals off. He can go fuck with history. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. He's going to mess with reality. He's going to be the trickster God again. He's going to be the one that really is the worst brother. And And, so in that version that grabbed the Tesseract doesn't know about any of this nice Loki shit that he's done for eight years. He hasn't redeemed himself at all. Right. He, he, he just remembers get help. And not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> so Loki, you just got the shit kicked out of him by Hulk, and now he's got the Tesseract. Puny exactly. God. Yeah. It's important to note <laughs> that for all the good things you just said about Frigga, Odin is a horrible person, right? Yes, yes. Odin, Odin is was a terrible. And, and Thor is happy, you know, happy kid to do whatever his dad says. Look at my dad as the greatest thing ever, which is why Loki has so much disdain for both of them. Mm-hmm. It's perfect sense. But the reason why I don't have Loki on my list at all is simply this. Loki is completely inept. He did nothing. Nothing he planned to do, he did. He is fantastically inept, which is almost endearing, which is why I think we like him. Because he never got anything done. So yeah. he did rule list. he did rule Asgard for a period of time. He did open the yeah, portal. He, he opened the portal, Ray. Well, he, okay, he opened the portal, but and you say rule Asgard. The only reason he ruled Asgard was because he pretended to be Odin. He didn't well, yeah, rule Asgard, but, but he's the he's the god of trickery and mischief. Mischief. That's what you do. Okay. Like as the god of mischief, you know, like that. That's so on brand for the character. Yeah. Uh, and and I and I'm sorry, you you all can't tell me that that play that we're watching at the beginning of Fantastic. Ragnarok, where he is, where he where he is in disguise as Odin, and he's just loving every moment of it of this play that he wrote. Like, that's just so, it's so on brand for him. So yeah, that, that's my number three, my number, or my number four, my number three is Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Negan. Uh, I'm team Negan, nothing against alpha. And while I respect that, uh, he, he wasn't the baddest 
dog in the pack when it came to, to him and Alpha. Just, you want to talk about somebody who epitomized the rules of change that I am taking over and making my own rules and honestly had an order about what he was doing. Like, he built a ruthless, bloodthirsty society. Like, you, you talk about, Ray, you talked about people achieving. Negan achieved. Yes. You know, and that's, I, I, in the show, we had to, we had to double up what we didn't do in the comics. So in the comics, you know, the iconic character is going to die. Seeing the first time we really get a look at Negan, Glenn's the only one who dies. And so adding Abraham to the one to get, to get killed, even though he did get to say, eat a dick before he died, which was just awesome. And Negan, and Negan respected that. That's the thing that I loved about him is that there is a sense of honor with him. Like when it comes to if you stand up and you take it, like it's it's over gross masculinity, but it is an ethos. And he is not a savage when it comes down to it. He is just he is the he's going to be the biggest dog and he is going to take charge and he's going to remind you why he's in charge. Love him. Hate neuter Negan right now, by the way. Don't like I, I get it. Like, oh, I, I I gotta be a father figure to this, you know, this child now, this little girl. Fuck that. Give me beat you in the face with my baseball bat, Negan. That's that's my that's my guy. He's such Love a him. beloved character. At the at the t- remember I if you read the Walking Dead comics and the letters at the at every fucking single epi- issue. They were always like, when's ne- people speculating when Negan's when's coming, coming back. back? And they kept, and Kirkman kept saying, not happening, not happening. And it never did happen. And, and, and you know, but that's how iconic and beloved the character was. And, and, and like you're saying, Patrick, Negan respects people who stand up to him. Even if he's still going to kill you, he still is going to respect He respected you. the hell out of Rick. And he respected he the hell out of Carl too, you know. And, he, and, he loved absolutely. Carl. He, he loved Carl. Carl. Yeah, he and, loved Carl. And and that episode, that that season, uh, the mid season finale of season eight, where Carl's like, I, I, you know, I'll die for this community, and 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 you could just tell the look in Negan's face was just looking at Carl like, almost curious, like, wow, kid, you're really something else. And so, I, I mean, yeah, Negan to me, but that episode, and I loved what they did in that episode of the show when. They swerved you because remember in the this between what was that season seven? I think that's where that happened. Yeah. So between season six and season seven, how many months did we all spend speculating who's gonna die? Are they gonna follow the comics? It's gonna be Glenn. And people reading every fucking little thing into everything they could to just speculate who's gonna die. And then Abraham dies, and all the Glenn fans, including us, we kind of exhaled a little bit, and then they turn it around and kill Glenn as well. Brilliant stuff with the tv show that was better than the comics but yeah negan is he's he's a complex character because he thinks he's doing the right thing protecting his people rick and his people are a threat and here's how i'm gonna do this thing and you know i've got you know 12 wives and all this other shit but he's he's not evil in the in the purest sense of the word he's just doing what he thinks needs to be done the rest of us look at it like you're fucked up but that's what he's doing. And, and he and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, you know, shouted the comedian from the Watchmen thing you talked about earlier. Just tremendous. I, nobody could have done Negan other than Jeffrey Dean Morgan. No. Not a chance. So good at it. It's hilarious. You mentioned that that spot where uh, Glenn gets killed, because if anybody read the comics, 
you knew it was gonna be Glenn. That's Maybe. issue one hundred, right? My yes, Mo. Yep. And it's a, it's hilarious to me. Two things about that scene. Number one, that's the scene that essentially that was the jump in the shark scene for a lot of fans, because a lot of fans were mad that they went to break without knowing who died, and then when they come back and they see who died, oh, it's too gory for me. Well, what did you expect was gonna happen? You, right. you thought was well, and happen. I think, and I do think a lot of Glenn fans were pissed about the head fake either, because Glenn doesn't die first of the two, like like he kills Abraham first and then is like, oh, we'll do another one. Yeah. Just for shits and giggles. Yes, that. Well, that's the other thing is 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 that uh, if anybody was shocked, it was Glenn. That right. you just you were trying to you were worked. You right. were old school Vince McMahon worked. They believed um, you. Oh, they swerved God. you. Yeah, Nick is fantastic. They swerved you. Nick is fantastic. Yeah. All right, um, Dave. Why don't you keep us moving? Let's get to our get to your number three. Well, I think uh, we're going to skip this one because my number three is uh, Michael B. Jordan's Eric Killmonger, who's got to be higher you, on we, yours. You will, you will be skipping, yes, because it's not my number three. So it's to raise for his number three. Okay, my number three. I think you guys are going to be upset with me, but I, I, he is one of my favorite characters in all of. And I was gonna say professional wrestling and all of comic bookdom, pro wrestling, uh, all too. of nerddom, <laughs> pro wrestling. Well, technically, because he's modeled up to a pro wrestler, I have Tom Hardy's Bane. Now I understand. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this, huh? <laughs> it's an interesting now, choice. I, I I understand. Tell us why you're wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm I see it in your faces. I understand and acknowledge that Bane essentially was a henchman or a, or, or a second. I acknowledge that. I do. However, Bane broke the bat. Everything Bane set out to do, he did. Bane got rid of Batman. Bane killed all the people in charge of Gotham. Bane controlled the city. But, right? Like, the only thing he didn't do was blow up the city. And the reason that he didn't blow up the city was because Talia messed up, right? Had had, Tal- had Talia let Bane kill Batman when he wanted to kill Batman, everything goes according to plan. But Talia wanted to, let when, it, when she stabbed him, let it ooze and, and wait till we leave before you kill him? No, kill him then. It's over. Um, but also, the precision with which Bane was prepared. The fact that Bane took over the armory, the fact that Bane um, infiltrated the city and and everything he did with stealing all the stuff from the um, stock exchange, like he was so far in ahead of any other of the villains in that world. And maybe it was because of Talia. We don't know. Talia didn't know everything at the time. He did a lot of that on his own. Um, but I, but ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, Batman is the unbeatable, unbreakable bat, and Bane beat his ass in like five minutes, like it wasn't even a contest. So, and in fact, Batman never beat Bane. Catwoman shot him. Technically, Batman was still going to get his ass beat. I don't know about that. <laughs> Batman did knock his mask off, and that turned the tide of that fight. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, you're right. Sure. But, but I mean, I'll say this. I don't, I mean, I like Tom Hardy's portrayal of Bane. It, he was, that was, I mean, when you compare that to that abomination that was Batman and Robin and that fucking stupid <sighs> Bane that they, all right, fuck that. 
Tom Hardy's performance was excellent. And and I mean, they were trying to kind of merge the whole Nightfall story arc with what they were trying to do with Dark Knight Rises, which was no easy task. But they did capture the most important aspect of that, which was Bane breaking Bruce Wayne's back. The difference was in the movies there, you know, he'd been out of action for like, what, eight years between the years. end of Dark Knight wow. and this was, yeah, and, in, they, and in the comics, I I don't think there was that big a gap. I mean, he Bane beat Batman in his prime, and which led to the whole Jean Paul Valet and the alternate Batman, and then Bruce having to reclaim his throne, that sort of thing. But I thought, yeah, as far as as Tom Hardy's portrayal of Bane, I, yeah, I mean, it it was really really good. I, I I mean, I enjoyed that movie. It had an impossible when you're trying to follow the Dark Knight. Good luck, you know, and, and it had to live up to that. And it did as well as, as probably could be expected. Patrick's just looking like he's got something to say. He's so disgusted uh, with me right now. I I'm, not dis- I'm not disgusted with you, y'all. I, I do think that it's funny. The Dark Knight Rises is often much maligned because it wasn't the Dark Knight. Uh, and I don't think that's particularly fair. I don't dislike Tom Hardy's portrayal of Bane. I don't dislike the character. A... Other than the voice, can we, can we be real about the goofy like voice? Like shit. it's oh, it's terrible. It, it is. It's, ter- it's that's, that's why I love it. That does. I don't know. Um, and I think you that a big thing in broken Spanish. You no, know, but what I but what I do want is you 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 hit it. He's a henchman, and that's that's the ultimate problem. Is they took a character that often is not. I mean, he's not a henchman in the comic books, and they made him a henchman. And, and I get why, like narratively, I get the story that was being tried trying to be told there. But to me, that kind of hurt the character. That not kind of it hurt the character for me. So again, as we say, these are our lists. This is Ray's list. He just got number three wrong, and that's okay because he'll do better <laughs> with number two when he when he gets a chance here. But uh, when you're ready, you're number two, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got a really strange text message. Um, tell me that the Eagles, that, tell me the Eagles are trash. trash and that Eagles are trash. <laughs> See, it's, no, it's funny. You went with the Eagles and I was like, you know, was it that you messed up your number three was dude was for me? Washington was trying to ruin the whole tank for Trevor thing and then just fumbled the ball. <laughs> it was returned Atta for a touchdown. Keep up the so good the work. the Giants are fight winning again. Fight. Yeah. Fuck. Go ahead. Number Ray. two, right? Um, so number two is Thanos. We are simpatico, my man. He's my number two as well. And this would be my controversial honorable mention. <gasps> I know. Anyway, go ahead, Ray. <laughs> Ray's expression is like, what? There has never been a villain in the history of villaindom that's achieved their goal bigger and more emphatically than Thanos. There's never been a... The, and it took every... It took every single uh, hero in the history of the Marvel Universe to beat him. It it It, did. You are correct. It took time travel. It took one million possibilities and only one way that they could actually do it. Well, actually, it was four million and six. Okay. I underestimated a little bit. Those are all true statements. I don't even want to back this up. I think you are. The onus is on you to prove why he's not on your list. Because it's my it's list. That's oh, that's 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 the overarching rule. Here's the thing. I love Thanos. He is on my honorable mention list. Absolutely. Josh, Josh, sorry, Josh Brolin is terrific. 
1000%. And I frequently watch the Avengers cycle of movies, all 21 MCU flicks beginning to end. And Thanos is the driving force when it, when it comes down to Endgame and infinity war two terrifically put together superhero movies. But when it, like you, you asked me to think of, of villains that, that I love and that I revere and that I treasure and that I, appreciated put on a top 10 list and Thanos just isn't one of them. And so it's not that he's not a bad villain. Like I think you're taking my honorable mention and making me making out to say that I think he's a poor portrayal or that he's a poor villain or a poor character. He's just not. No, he's, he's a terrific villain. He's a terrific portrayal. He's everything you would have wanted in that character. He's just not, he's, he, he just is not definitive to me. This feels like to me, you give me your top ten NBA players, and Jordan isn't on it. It's like no. it's not. It's not that. It's not that it's offensive because I know you're still putting him as one of the best. Right. But definitively, Jordan is one or two. Like there's no three, four, five. It's one or two. I, I'm sorry. He's he's number eleven for me. He left. Lebr- he left LeBron off the list. Right? He left LeBron off the list. Is what oh, he did, Ray. My God. Well, I mean, well, he's no he's no Clyde Drexler. So, oh, right. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Mitch Richmond, baby. <laughs> Gilbert no. Gilbert Arenas for the win. Anyway, go ahead, Ray. No, see, see, if I wanted to be truly insulting, I'd do something like, um, oh god, like some shitty point guard or something. Um, just, just stop know. where you're head. Just stop right. where you're head. <laughs> and but I'm not a fun. Jordan guy, but uh, Spud no. Webb for the win. <laughs> oh god, um, Thanos did the job. Thanos, Thanos. Not only did Thanos do the job, but Thanos, I think the part of the part of Thanos' career arc that I think is underrated is the fact that he's the first character we've ever seen in the history of film that was the big bad to a series of films. Right? It's it, sure, James Bond, you had to get to Blowfield, and like you've had guys where you've had to build up to. But that was almost 15 films where, like, everything was around Thanos, right? Loki attacked the Earth because of Thanos. And they hid uh, Infinity Stones in this place because of Thanos. And such and such did this because of Thanos. And, you know what I mean? And then, much like, uh, to, to go back to the LeBron comparison, like, he was built up. And you thought that he couldn't live up to the buildup, and he usurped the buildup. You know what I mean? Like, like he not only did he achieve more than any human, any not human being, any villain has ever achieved. Not only did he achieve more than that, but he did it on his damn own, basically. You know what I mean? And no offense to the Black Order because they did their job, but like all, they all eventually basically died, right? Like the heroes of the the America, the world heroes eventually were able to get to the point where they were able to get to Thanos and stop him, and there were multiple situations where they could have won, but everything that Thanos had to sacrifice what he loved the most to get it, like every that hides on your list. I don't understand. I've, <laughs> Ray Ray is actually. Ray, you were so worried about B uh, about Dave or I getting upset with you, and here you are being like, I can't even, I, I don't, whatever. I mean, I, I mean, 
there's I I mean from my standpoint, Ray says a lot of the stuff I feel. I, I think Josh Brolin's portrayal of Thanos is 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 one thing. The specter of Thanos, how it drove the entire MCU, and now how I mean we've done it on this own show, Patrick, speculating who's going to be the next big bad for the MCU going through Phase Four and Five. Who who's going to be the next Thanos? That sort of thing. It, it's almost transcendent in what they accomplished with this character. Now, Thanos himself, as far as the portrayal and, and his methodical capturing the Infinity Stones and, and that whole that whole thing that he does in Infinity War, where he goes from one stone, you know, killing Loki, getting the stone on, on the Asgardian ship, going here, going there, what he has to go through with Gamora to get the Soul Stone, all that stuff. I mean, it's just done so well that those last two Avengers movies, Infinity War and Endgame, which you really can't watch one without the other. I mean, it's it's a remarkable performance that I've only got one thing that that beats it in my opinion. Um, I I gotta. I mean, I I'm not gonna criticize you. It's on your honorable mention because our lists are our lists. But yeah, I'm with Ray on this one. I mean, it's a tremendous, unbelievable performance in to cap off a 22 or 21 series arc of movies. That they built, I mean, you talk about slow burning, pro wrestling terms, boy, they slow burned the shit out of that and then gave you the payoff at the end with a performance that matched it. So, I'm with you, Ray. I mean, sorry? <laughs> Why don't you do your number two then? Yeah. I still love you, brother. Yeah, I we still love man. you, but, but man. Oh, boy. So, maybe this will help you understand, because if you look at the characters that I've picked in my top five, or I, I would say mo- more more to the point, my top three. Ray, it kind of goes back to what you talked about before when you talk about like cosmic villains versus kind of smaller scope villains. I like a villain that I can connect with or that I can understand. And I don't necessarily connect with Thanos or understand Thanos the way I do these top three and just sort of where they are in trying to, whether it's make the world burn, which we'll talk about when we hit our number one, or claim my birthright, which is what Michael B. Jordan's Eric Killmonger is trying to do throughout Black Panther. And the thing that I find amazing about this character is the level of empathy that I have for him in a way that I don't have for Thanos, that there is a distinct line here that is tough for me to sort of reconcile whether or not he's really, he's the bad guy because we love T'Challa and we've been introduced to him first, but you can completely see why Eric Killmonger does what he does and you can empathize with it. And that backdrop of growing up in Oakland, California in poverty in, amongst in, in, a, the, in, a, the, in the crack era, right? A, you know, a, amongst his people being used in, by by white folk, uh, being oppressed from his father to you know generations before him. Like I just get it, and to see him use the system to use America to to rise through the ranks to eventually find and claim his birthright in Wakanda and then to, to want to lash out 
at the world that has subjugated Africa and his people for so long. To me, it's it's just amazing and is a character that I'm sad died, quote unquote, died. And maybe he's not maybe dead. Not. Who knows? But, you know, I remember sitting there with one of my one of my best friends and just watching like the two of us being moved by him, you know, asking to be buried at sea, you know, and not and not be spared to, to you know, to be buried with his ancestors who didn't survive the who, the who transatlantic knew that, who knew that, route who knew that death was better than bondage right yeah. that 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 I don't know to me it's just it's such a farther reaching impactful emotional character that while I get what Thanos's role and you want to talk about something that's separate from the Thanos story like they ain't got nothing to do with fucking Thanos like at all like nothing to do it it is it it is its own story and it is his story as much as it is T'Challa's story. And he like, you know, I was hard pressed to not make him number one because of the amount of just empathy that you can have for that character. And, and like, yeah, like bring him back. I don't fucking care. Do it. I don't think they're going to have much choice, but to bring him back given the unfortunate situation with Chad. Yeah, you guys sure you do, but I almost think you got to bring Killmonger back in some way. But, I, you know, I had him at number three because, yeah, it just it's such a great story. And Michael B. Jordan's portrayal of that, just the anger that exudes from him for a justifiable reason, because he was abandoned by his own people and, and just left discarded by his own people. And like you're saying, Patrick, his his quest to reclaim his birthright and everything that he's doing. And then when he gets in charge of that he sits there and it's a valid question he's like why are we sitting here not taking control of what we can you know why are we allowing ourselves to be subjugated by these assholes we need to take what's ours we are the superior country we it's not about race it's just about why are we allowing our people to suffer when we have all this technology and the capability to change it and it's like when Ray and I, we were off there talking about why I like Superman, because he has all that power, but he doesn't abuse it. And Killmonger is like, he gets that power and he's more than ready to abuse it. So, But you understand why. You understand like, the, why, but it doesn't make... You totally get it. You do, but it doesn't, it doesn't make, make it right. It doesn't make him a good person, right? but right. you get it. But in, that, in his portrayal, by making you realize this is why he's doing it, and this is why I get it, and it, it's a fantastic awesome performance the perfect counter to t'challa's character in that whole thing and and you know he never michael b jordan and killmonger never wavers in his belief that he is doing the absolute right thing and you have to love that thanos is the same way i'm doing the right thing for the right reasons even if it seems like wow that's really fucked up to the rest of us but you'll understand eventually you do right and i i thought yeah killmonger michael b jordan's portrayal was absolutely awesome I, I think that you said that Killmonger wasn't a villain in his ideology, but he was a villain in what he did because he wanted to kill innocent people just because he could. Um, he essentially wanted to subjugate, as you use, Dave, um, the the Western world the way that the Western world subjugated Africa. Um, and ultimately, I think the beautiful thing about him is that even when he found his dad with panther claws in his chest, and even when he tried to find 
Wakanda. He didn't want to kill everybody. He just couldn't understand why they didn't help their own people. There's, right. there's one part in the movie where it says there's, what, a uh, hundred million black people, people who out there that look just like you and me who don't even know Wakanda exists. And we could help all of them, but y'all just sitting here sitting on what you got. And I think the beauty of Killmonger and the beauty of that role and that and him being a villain is that he won ultimately in the fact that T'Challa realized he was right. He did, but he yeah. also realized he wasn't right in how he was going about it. He needed to go about it a better way, but he was right. Wakanda needed to stop their isolationist views and open up to the world because, like, it's cool. I, I, I love that part that T'Challa Chadwick, when he uh, goes back to the soul world or wherever it is, the Panther world, uh, and he's talking he says to all, all of you are wrong. Yes. He's like, and um, T'Chaka was like, you don't understand. We did what we had to do to save my people. He was like, no, you were wrong. All of you were wrong. And there has to be a better way. And I can't die because I got to go back and change what y'all fucked up. And I I think it was so beautiful. And uh, yeah, Killmonger, and, and I think timing is everything, bro, because not only was it important so much of Black Panther was important, and I know it's it's become a, like it's become almost comical at this point to talk about the importance of the movie. But I think the timing of what Killmonger's message was, given the social climate of the world, and it really made like I legitimately had sit down like coffee dates with friends, and we like like and it was eight or ten of us. And dissected the movie. Like, it, it was that thought-provoking. Because I think what a lot of people who aren't Black don't understand is that when we were brought over here, one of the very first things that the slave owners did was they stripped us of our identity. So they're, so American Blacks don't have that link with our culture. We don't know about Africa. There are a good contention of people in African countries National, like uh, like original nationalized Africans who don't consider black people African. So like everything Killmonger is doing, he's saying you guys have been around for centuries and you allowed this to happen and we can change this. And it's, it's like you said, man, it's, it's really beautiful in the way that it's thought out. And, you know, unfortunately he died. He had to die, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's that movie and Ryan Coogler is is a genius. Ryan Coogler is one of the best people with a camera in his hand. And Scorsese and 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 Spielberg and he's up there. And I, I maybe I'm jumping to the gun, but like there, he hasn't missed. Every movie no, he's, he's done is he's he's got greatness written all over him. Oh my god, he's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, I can't argue that. All right, gentlemen. So I think we have a unanimous number one here. It sounds like because I haven't heard it come up. Nobody's waved it forward. So I'm going to assume that we all have Heath Ledger's portrayal as the Joker as our number one. I'm going to ask the uncomfortable question first. Does Heath Ledger passing away impact your view of his portrayal? Nope. It didn't impact the view of my portrayal, but it impacted the interest of the character. Fair. True. Um, I always, I always, anytime I talk about the, you know, kind of iconic performances and I agree, like, I think that 
you know, had we not lost Heath, it still would have been what I what I hate about losing Heath and what's really sad is that the Joker was supposed to be a part of the Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, and losing him, you lost whatever that element was going to be, regardless, because he wasn't meant to die. And you don't see him die in, in the Dark Knight. Like he's just dangling from a rooftop because Batman isn't the Joker. That's mm-hmm. the big thing. And the psychological games that that Heath Ledger's Joker plays with Bruce and and Batman is the best. Convoluted, really difficult to pull off schemes notwithstanding. Just it's it is the definitive villain performance and it's the one that folks turn to as the measuring stick. Not just for the Joker, but for a lot of superhero movies and, and villains. It's been, in my opinion, still to this day, the greatest superhero movie of all time. I, I don't, I have not seen anything as great as Endgame and Infinity War were. No, I, I would still say The Dark Knight is the greatest superhero movie of all time. And a lot of that is, yeah, it's all, he- I mean, well, not all, but a lot of it's Heath Ledger. And that portrayal, it, it's just everything they did with him, just the combination of, of his mannerisms, the things he said, the way he manipulated people, his just, you know, I don't give a shit if I die as long as I'm creating chaos. And that's all he was about was creating chaos and unbalancing things and creating uncertainty the whole time. And the way they did it with that music in the back, that steady rising crescendo on whatever instrument it was that felt like something getting stuck in your head, like a shard of glass or something. And it just keeps building and building and everything he does I mean, it's a combination of so many factors, but yeah, I mean, his performance is so different from Nicholson's that, you know, the, the portrayal, his portrayal of the Joker is an, an unhinged, but supremely intelligent, cunning, manipulative guy who's really, he's not, it's not, it's not like Jack Nicholson wanted to take over Gotham because, you know, there was money involved and there was power and that sort of thing. Heath just wanted to watch the world burn. And, and that's why that line was so excellent when, when uh, Michael Caine says that. That's all he cares about is creating chaos for the sake of creating chaos. There's no real rhyme or reason or plan. Like he even says, do, you, does I, do I look like a guy who plans things out? I, I'm just <laughs> like a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't even know what to do if I caught one. That's the quintessential nature of Heath Ledger's Joker. And he does that so masterfully that... It is. It's a transcendent performance that, like you're saying, Patrick, every other Joker now is measured against that. When Jared Leto failed so badly, even if he didn't, he was going to be perceived as failing because, like, that's not my Joker. That's not Heath Ledger's Joker. That's that's a travesty. Even if his performance was, you know, by and large, okay, it's not the same. And and that's why I do like Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal if he was a Joker, like you said, because he his portrayal was different than Heath's in an even crazier kind of way. Not as good, not even close, but different. And I just think like it's a performance that just stands out. I mean, it's been dissected and analyzed by everybody for, you know, since the movie came out, what, 15 years ago now? Has it been something like that? So yeah, I mean, it's, it's number one on my list for the same, many of the same reasons you guys probably have. What what I loved about one of the things I loved about Ledger's Joker was I think it was in the Killing Joke where 
uh, Joker said that if I had to choose what my identity was or say what my identity was, I'd, I'd like it to be multiple choice. That, you know, when like all the other Jokers kind of had some, you could, they had some backstory, right? I don't know if it was the Arthur Fleck thing or if it was the um, Jack Napier thing, but Ledger's, you know, you could never tell. You know nothing about him because all the stories he told about the scars and he literally could have been anybody. I think, and that was kind of a beautiful thing about it, but I'm going to go D&D on you guys. D&D started the character grid about the the characters, right? The lawful goods and the alignments, the alignments, the lawfuls, the, the, the neutrals and the chaotics of all of the characters we've all talked about. There's only one that's chaotic evil and that's ledger Joker. And I think that is why it sets him up apart because his goal is to have no goal. His, what he wants to do is to do anything. There is nothing he wants. He, he finessed all of like the biggest bads and got them to give him all his money. Then he burnt the shit. Like there is, he has no goal other than to just do whatever because he can do whatever. You cannot beat a guy like that. Right. Even says it's not about the money. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bust out the Dark Knight trilogy and just rewatch it all. Anyway, so much fun to to watch. Got them all. It is um, totally worth the time. So that's gonna do it for part one of the villain project. Next week we come back. This one's gonna be a little challenging, fellas. Because these are our top 10 comic book villains from independent comics. So not Marvel, not DC. I know this is going to be a challenge for me. I'm sure it'll be a challenge for the two of you. Can I raise my hand for for clarification? No, Darth Vader cannot (laughs) be a villain. Is like something like from Vertigo, would you consider that DC? It is under the DC umbrella. It was bought by DC though, right? Right. 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 I would... Right, so, if it was a property that was purchased by a major company, right? Because there's some shit I'll, from the preacher that's fucked up. <laughs> that's all right. I gotta say. But yeah, it's it's so hard. It, yeah, I would say that the origins of the company had to be separate from DC and Marvel. So all right, you know, I think you know, for me, Dark Horse, IDW, Vertigo, all of those are going to count. Image, um, in fact, Image may have my number one. I'm not sure yet, but. Um, yeah, so anything like that, anything that started out as an independent will allow no Darth Vader. Um, but the, the origins of the character have to start in a comic book. As Ray, as Ray dropped the hand, Ray is <laughs> dropping the hands multiple times here. He's, he's, he was offended over my omission of Thanos from the top 10 and, and, and my rules. Look, you, I was about to go Stephen A on you. you your, your blatant omission, it's asinine, asinine. That's 11, that's 12. So, oh, so an so. update on the uh, Washington quest for Trevor Lawrence. They scored the touchdown and decided to go for the two points in the win and failed. So they're right back oh, yeah. in the right back in the race, Patrick. So so as we're talking about bad coaching, the Bears are about to pick up their fifth win and be five and one on the season. <laughs> <laughs> but can I just say that it's in spite of Matt Nagy? So the Bears are going to win by a touchdown, right? They got the ball starting with the two-minute warning, Carolina has all of its timeouts. Run the ball first down. Run the ball second down. It's third and two. Maggie calls a crossing pattern pass play that goes for an incomplete pass, giving the Carolina Panthers the ball with a minute 46 to go. Thank God for the Bear defense and an interception to ice the game. 
but good lord, this is the worst five and one team in football. I cannot wait for the Bears to be in the Super Bowl and to hear what Patrick will be saying the worst when they're the NFC champions. You remember a couple of years ago when Jacksonville went like thirteen and three, and Blake Bortles didn't like throw a pass? Yeah, this right. Is, like this is the same thing. You remember when the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer as hey, a quarter? Uh, hey, sorry, Ray. Hey. So. Hey. So hey. anyway, before we get out of here, let's go to Patrick O'Dowd as a question. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's Halloween season, which for me is always a time with a little O'Dowd where we bust out stuff that I used to watch as a kid and some of the stuff that he used to watch as a kid. Go to Halloween movies slash special that you check out if that's your thing. David Ungar, go to Halloween stuff. What do you mean? Like Halloween movies? Like a a movie or a TV show, any of that stuff. Oh, I mean, it's Halloween. I mean, mean, it's Halloween is going to be the go-to movie this this time of year. Just that the music is iconic. I'll make... I'll make sure to show that to the kid. I mean, well, I, I don't know about that, but uh, you know, right. Halloween and uh, and I, movie I love one of the horror movies that I love, and I love the music and and just it's always for some reason it's just one of my is Phantasm. Love Phantasm. Oh, yeah. You can catch that on Amazon Prime for free right now, or well, as part of your Prime account. Yeah, that those those are like my my main. I think my main Halloween things are, are those kind of movies. I mean, just getting on anything right now. It, not this week, but maybe like next week where they're just like Fright Fest is going on and you can just catch all those all those good movies, you know, most from 80s and 90s, that sort of stuff. By modern standards, there's not a whole lot out there that really thrills me as far as horror is concerned. But yeah, I'd say Halloween and Phantasm are my main go-tos. Great um, catch. Halloween for sure. Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton, I think, is a good one. Um, I know it's Christmas, but, uh, you know, Halloween. Um uh, to be hokey, the Halloween Town movies are always a fun shout, especially if you have kids. Um, but if we're just talking like scary movie wise, you said you're not really into uh, current horror. I think Jordan Peele is like a revelation in the new horror. Oh movie. God, no! I love. I mean, I love Get Out, and I loved um, Us. Us. Yeah, both of those are I, terrific films. Pay. I, I I don't think Peele directed it, but I think he is a producer in it. But they are rebooting Candyman. Yeah, yes. where yeah. that played Black Manta. When it comes out, when it comes out in 2027, I look forward to seeing. That's it. right. Because Hashtag 2027. Yeah, we, we actually we actually covered a tra- we actually covered the trailer for it when it when it first when the first trailer dropped, uh, so and I, I just hope Tony Todd's in there somewhere as well because he he was the original Candyman himself and was was terrific. Awesome, just a great character actor. Was in The Rock. I forgot that he was in The Rock and how good he was in there. For me, as a kid. There's there is no other Halloween movie that I that I there's one must watch and that is a kid comedy from the 80s slash horror called The Monster Squad, which is known for its iconic line. The Wolfman's got nards uh, where classic horror creatures are being brought back by Dracula as he tries to open a portal to bring in all of evil and suck out all of the good in the world. And these plucky kids who swear a lot. Like I didn't realize how much they swear. So I go back and I was like, man, they let these kids just say fucking shit and all that. Like, and these are like 10 year olds, good time stuff. Uh, horror movies, horror movie wise, the, a recent film, it's actually a montage of films called trick or treat. Uh, is a good little anthology collection. Got some big name actors. Anna Paquin is in it. 
And um, I always watch the uh, Alien movies, uh, particularly the first Alien. That is that is sci-fi horror at its best. So there you have it, folks. Some great stuff to check out. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Before we go, fellas, why don't we tell everybody where they can find you? This week we'll start with Ray. You can find me at Attitude Ag. That's Nerd. right. My new co-host. That's uh, exactly right. Thank you, Ray. I've been looking for a suitable re- co-host for a while. Uh, it's at it's Ray Cash, R-E-Y, as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H, as in them dollar signs. David Ungar. Well, you can find me at It's Ray Cash. No, uh, <laughs> find me at Attitude. R-A-Y. Yeah, at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, or on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And you can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can catch us here, the bandwagon, as this episode drops every Monday at noon here on the chairshot.com. You can also catch me every Wednesday on the Greg DeMarco Show with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales, where we talk uh, wrestling and all of what's going on there. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your first round of 10. I look forward to hearing our top 10 comic book villains of independent comics next week. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds, part of the ChairShot Media Group on thechairshot.com. Now get yourself out of the basement, pull up some old, old comic book movies, and check out some villains this whole month. Bad is good. You've been listening to the Bandwagon Nerds. Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.